0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Hey, we're teaching out of Ephesians chapter four, so if you want to go ahead and turn your Bible there. I appreciate you being here today. We started a series in Ephesians four the last time we were together. Sadly we had to cancel last week due to the inclement weather, but we are back in it today. One of the amen. Somebody's excited. One of the things that I told you last week is that almost in all of Paul's in almost every one of Paul's writings there's a there's a hinge point, whether it be Philippians or Romans. Or here in Ephesians, there's a hinge point where he moves from doctrine, who you are because you are in Christ Jesus, to responsibility, to practical application, what you should do in regard to who you are. And this is exactly what happens starting in chapter 4. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 talks all about the, the blessings that we have being in Christ and the doctrines of what it means to be in Christ. If you'll go through, I challenged you last time, to go through and read chapters 1, 2, and 3, and you're going to see over and over and over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Him, through Him, in Him, over and over and over again, you see this. And each time he's trying to make a point. In Him, you have this. In Him, you have this. In Him, there are surpassing riches and glory. We need to know who we are before we begin to act upon who we are. Amen? Amen. We have to have a foundation of doctrine set before we move forward in whatever God has called us to do, if we expect for that to make any difference. If we don't understand doctrine, we end up with a liberal theology, and we think that whatever we do, based on whatever we feel like doing, is going to be successful, when that's not true. The Bible tells us who we are and how we should act. And in chapter 4, he, he starts that hinge point from Doctrine to practical theology to, to practice. And so chapter 4 one through six we talked about last week where he was talking about unity. And he essentially said, listen, you have to be a church. I'm going scream this screen this. that has been imparted to you, or should be imparted to you, you should be unoffendable. But sadly, so many of us walk in offense because we determine that our situation, our problem, whatever someone said to us is bigger than the greater cause of Christ in our life. We have to get to a place where we recognize, as Paul says here, that we walk in humility, gentleness, Patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. Which means I have to set myself aside. Which i got to be honest with you, I don't like that. It frustrates me. I don't want to set myself aside. I'm a big deal. Just ask me. But the fact of the matter is, the Word of God says that we're not that big a deal. And so we have to walk in unity and set ourselves aside. Make ourselves less so that the people around us can become more. I love that Verse. John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. And we talked a little bit last week about how how that's not just true of our responsibility to to decrease so that Jesus could become greater in the lives of the people around us, but we must also decrease so that the people around us can become greater. And that's our responsibility. We have to become less. Less offendable, less defensive, Walk in humility and recognize that some people just ain't where we are. And that's okay because some people are beyond you and they're putting up with you. And so, with all that in mind, we talked about that last week. And that we're capable of doing all of those things. We're capable of walking in humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance for the sake of unity because we serve a God that is unified. The Godhead is unified. We should be unified also, inseparable. That's my desire for the church. How much could we get accomplished if we determined to set aside our personal differences and progress forward the kingdom of God? It would be amazing. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about today, although we could talk about it again today if you'd like. What I want to talk about today is, is out of our series, Get Up and Grow, I want to talk to you um, in a lesson titled "Get Up and Grow Up," get up and grow up. Last week's was kind of a warm and fuzzy message. Everybody left here feeling pretty good. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be united. We're gonna love one another. We're gonna do all this kind of stuff. Today, I want to tell you: Can we just grow up? Can we act like we got some sense? Can can we act like the Spirit of God lives in us? and that the Spirit of God has equipped us and given us the tools necessary to walk according to the way the Word says that we should walk. We have to grow up. I'm not saying you're you're getting there today. You're not going to get there tomorrow. You may not get there the next day after that. I've been saved for 15 years. And I only realized, the only thing I've realized in 15 years is that I'm a lot further from the goal than I thought I was the first day I got saved. But you know what? My job is to continue to grow up. Continue to mature. And that's a difficult thing, but it doesn't make it unnecessary. We don't do things just because, we don't not do things just because they're difficult. We're required to do the difficult things too, recognizing that the Spirit of God living in us gives us the power and the ability to accomplish the difficult. Because none of us can walk this Christian life by ourselves. All right. So that's what I want to talk about today, get up and grow up, and I'm going to do that out of Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. We have a responsibility to grow in Christ. Let me read this text first out of Colossians 1.28. We have to labor, labor, which means take physical action, grab a hold of, maybe even put a little sweat equity into our Christian walk. We are called to grow. You ever been to a gym? Ever seen somebody in a gym? Maybe saw it on television or something? Like when they're growing, they're hurting. They're stretching themselves beyond their capability, beyond their previous limitation, because they want to be greater than they were yesterday. This should be our desire in our Christian walk. Get in the spiritual gym. Cause yourself to be uncomfortable for a little while. This is the purpose. This is our, our intent to labor to this goal. Colossians 1, and 29 says this. We proclaim him, admonishing every man. That admonishing, that's a big word for warn. Warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Did you catch that? I'm going to warn you. We should be warning each other. We should not only just be warning each other, but we should be teaching one another until every person becomes complete in Christ Jesus. You know what completion in Christ Jesus looks like? Completion in Christ Jesus looks like perfection, which means since the Bible tells us that When we see him, we will be like him, which means that we probably won't be exactly like him until we see him, which means we'll struggle for constant perfection all the time. Then we have to constantly be growing. There's never a point in our life where we don't get to stop growing. There's never a point in our life when I get to sit down, rest on my laurels, and say, look at all the stuff that I've accomplished. Because if you do, you've misunderstood the requirement. You've missed, what's up? the assignment. I should see this on TikTok all the time. I do the assignment. Anyway, some of y'all are younger guys. Maybe, maybe I just it. Anyway, pay attention. So the assignment is to grow. Amen? He continues on by saying this. For this purpose. What purpose? So that every man be complete in Christ. Also I labor, which means I struggle towards, I strive towards. I don't stop. I keep pushing striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And that's a blessing because I am called to warn every man. I am called to teach every man until every man is complete in Christ. It is for this that I labor, but I don't labor under my own strength. I labor under the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit given to me by Christ Jesus. Amen. And with all of that said, let's read this text. 4, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, 9 and 10, you're going to notice, are in parentheses. This is a parenthetical thought intended to explain verse 8. And so I'm not going to get real deep into that, but I'll go ahead and read it. Now with expression, he ascended. Now, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth, that he descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, and as a result, I added the and, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every kind of doctrine. Once you come to a place of maturity, once you start striving towards maturity, your boat should be more stable. You shouldn't be easily swayed, tossed to and fro. That's what it's saying. So many Christians are tossed to and fro with uneasy and unsound doctrine because no one's taken the time to warn them, to teach them, to labor towards the cause of creating maturity in Christ in them. But God gave us the ability to do it. Feeling good about this one, guys, in a very humble kind of way. (laughs) by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Can I tell you, there are pastors and teachers and preachers out there that just want something from you. They don't want something for you. These people are dangerous. They manipulate doctrine. They manipulate texts, not because they want you to grow in maturity, but because they want something from you. If you're sitting under a pastor, would, I promise you right now, you're not. I don't want anything from you. Take whatever it is you've got and go somewhere else. If you think that's the case, I don't want anything from you. I only want those things God has for you. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Amen. So I want to talk to you. I'm going to make two points today, and they're going to be pretty simple. First point, the church is gifted to grow. If the sermon title is Get Up and Grow Up, you need to know that you've been gifted to grow. God didn't say grow and then say, now good luck, have a good time with that. He gave gifts unto men, both spiritual and ministerial gifts. I'm going to get into the ministerial gifts in just a moment. But let me tell you, everybody, according to this text, let me read it to you again. Each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ. Each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I feel like I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. Every one of us was given a measure of grace according to Christ's gift. What does that mean? That means every one of us, everybody say every one of us, was given a gift, a spiritual gift, because God knows your potential. According to his grace, which means he gave you a gift you didn't deserve because he knows your potential and he knows what you're capable of. So take a hold of that. I want you to understand, in order to grow up, you've got to get up. You gotta stand on your feet. Christ didn't save you for you to sit on your rear end all the time. I'm fully convinced that if he determined that you don't do anything in the kingdom of God, he would have killed you the day he saved you because you're useless anyway. I told you last week was a little bit more soft. This week gonna be a little more pointed. But it's true, he gave us something we didn't deserve, which is grace. And each person, a gift of grace. That's a spiritual gift. Every, no one in this room has been overlooked. You're all, Pastor Jim, I haven't gotten involved because I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Let me encourage you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Start reading chapter 12. Over and over and over and over again, it lists the spiritual gifts. And then ask God, God, what is my spiritual gift? He's not trying to hide it from you. God didn't say, man, I got a gift for you. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to let you waste your whole life and never use the gift I gave you. But you got to seek. you got to chase after. It's okay to chase after God. You should chase after God. So he gave us each a gift, a spiritual gift, so that we might be able to function within the body of Christ. Why do I want you to get up? Why do I want you to understand and recognize your gift? Because you have a function in this body. Until you get up and start doing something, and that's everybody. I don't care how young or how old you are. Until you get up and start functioning within the body of this, within the body, this body of believers, this body of believers is lacking. 15% of the people shouldn't be carrying the other 85% of the people. But that's historically the statistic in most churches in America. I'm missing an eye because you're too lazy to get up and work. I'm missing a finger because somebody else is too lazy to get up and work. Or a foot or a hand. I'm missing something. The body of Christ is missing something. You're all, Pastor Jim, you need to do such and such. Now, somebody should be gifted to do that. Somebody has been gifted to do that. How about they do that and I do what I'm called to do? Until we recognize that everybody has something, we're never going to be everything God called us to be as a congregation amen so how do I get that read the word and pray and ask God God show me what that is show me what that is Lord seek wise counsel but I'm going to tell you like I told the last service don't pray that prayer first this is what I want you to do first I want you to go get one of them great big old fat sharpie markers you know what I'm talking about those great big ones that smell really bad And I want you to write yes on it. And then I want you to set it on the table in front of your Bible. And once your yes is on the table, then ask God what He wants from you. Because if you ask God what He wants from you and He tells you something you don't want to do and you say no, He's not going to tell you what He wants from you. Our God knows all things. He has foreknowledge of your decision, what you're going to do. He's not going to reveal to you something you're not going to use anyway. say yes first. We said yes, we would plant a church. We did not want to come to Lebanon. Everybody hates me lives here. But we came, you know why? Because our yes was on the table. We've been gifted. Everyone has been gifted. Every person in this room has been gifted. Each one for the common good according to twelve seven of first Corinthians for the common good. Mm. Why is this possible? How did I, how did we get so blessed to be gifted? We've been gifted to grow up. How have we been gifted? Why have we been gifted? We've been gifted because Christ gave us gave us the greatest gift for. And that's himself. I'm going to walk you through a process. You have nothing you have except that Christ Jesus gave it to you. It's a simple truth. But if you'll grab a hold of it, it'll literally change your whole life. You have nothing you have except that God gave it to you in his son Jesus. That's the whole purpose behind chapters one, two, and three. You have this because you're in Christ. You have this because you're in Christ. You have this because you're in Christ. Over and over and over again. Now what's your responsibility? Your responsibility now is to practically live out who you are. So he tells us that Jesus Christ gave us a gift, but gave himself as the gift first. Jesus came here, walked the earth, Walked in the filth and the mire and the muck that is the earth. Out of heaven, perfect, pristine heaven. Humbled himself. Never sinned. Became sin so that we might have the righteousness of Christ in us. This according to the word of God. Do you understand how big a deal that is? No, you don't. I hope you have some inkling, but none of us truly can understand what that means that Jesus Christ walked here determined for whatever reason while we were still sinners to love us enough to come here, to die shameful death, cursed on a tree, so that he could do what no one else was able to do, be the perfect sacrifice for us, to take the penalty of sin for us, which is death, and destroy it and then to take that which held us captive to death, the powers, the principalities, and parade them, showing that he had defeated them. That's what the Word of God says in Colossians. Colossians, let me see if I can find it. I have it written here somewhere. Perhaps. Colossians 2.15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, which were our previous captors, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. He destroyed death and destroyed those who held authority over you that caused you to live in that death. But didn't just do that. He took your place. He was the substitutional atonement for you. He took your place and the wrath of God for you. So he does all of that. Sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. Well, he's given his final discourse in Luke. It's Luke, right, or John? John. He's given his final discourse to the apostles. He's telling them, hey, look, I'm about to leave. This is the real plan. I know you guys have been thinking for the last three years this was going to happen. But that's not actually about to happen. I'm about to leave. But I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And that's exactly what he does. He goes up to heaven. Heaven given himself as the perfect gifts, perfect sacrifice, sits at the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit down to us. The Holy Spirit endows us with the spiritual gifts. We have the gifts because Christ Jesus sent the Holy Spirit that we might have those gifts. Well, man, I work hard for for what I get. You ain't get nothing. And you can't work hard enough to get what God gave you. He gave all of us spiritual gifts, so that we might be able to accomplish the greater good of, present, of presenting the gospel and being the light to the world that the local church is supposed to be. And the local church, by and large, is failing because they don't understand the power that we carry. We carry the Spirit of God in us. That should blow your mind. Like every time I say that, I I expect the whole room to go, oh, but you never do. Like We got so used to the idea that the omnipotent, all-powerful God of the universe, the God that breathed everything into existence because he wanted to, the God that controls the oceans and how far they come, that knows the numbers of the hairs, on your head that knows every star and their names in the heavens? Are we so familiar with that God that when we say the Spirit of God, the Spirit of that God lives in us, we aren't taken aback that our breath isn't sucked out of our lungs at how awesome and magnificent that is, then we're not spending enough time in our word and in prayer. Because that should blow us away. That should that should make us crazy. At the very least, we should look like a Titans football game in here. Y'all know what I'm saying? I hope you do. Any football game, go to a football game or watch a football game on TV. Put it on mute. If you didn't know better, they'd be worshiping. That football team deserves the worship, but our God doesn't. Boy, don't even get me started. Well, I don't. I don't like. I don't. I don't. Well, I'm not going to get it. I'm about about to lose my mind in here. (laughs) So he gave us gifts, spiritual gifts, but not just spiritual gifts. He gave us ministerial gifts according to this text. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He gave everyone a spiritual gift. He gave some ministerial gifts. I know that's going to sound elitist to some of you, but it's not. Trust me. There's no apex leader. There's no number one guy. There's only a number one servant. That's it. The higher you go, the more responsibilities or the the less... um, What's the word I'm looking for? She's not paying attention anyway. (laughs) So she wasn't. (laughs) So the less freedom you have, when I was working at a parking lot of Cornerstone Church, you know what? If I showed up, that was cool. If I didn't show up for 3 weeks in a row, that was cool too. What happens if I didn't show up here for 3 weeks? It'd be a mess, right? The more you get, the higher you go, the whatever God's called you to, the more freedoms you lose. Until ultimately you're in complete and absolute service to everyone around you. The ministerial gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, these are still in existence today. And we could go over all of them very shortly. The apostle lives with leaders. Just the way they did back in the uh, first century church, the apostle raised up churches, established leadership, set policies and procedures and all of those things, um, and then left and then came and did it again, and then came back and checked on them. Read the, journey, the missions journeys of Paul. That's exactly what he did. He'd go somewhere, raise up, start a church, plant leaders there, equip them, leave them, come back and check on them. Lives with leaders. A prophet lives with God. It's a person that's anointed specifically for an on-time word from the Lord to a specific people. For a specific purpose. The evangelist lives with the lost. Someone that's anointed to go outside the walls of the church and proclaim the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The pastor lives with people. I'll tell you this. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an apostle. I'm not an evangelist. And I teach sometimes for fun. But that's not my primary responsibility. You know what my primary responsibility is? To be with people. I'm a pastor. Pastor Rick can teach. Pastor Rick's one of the best teachers I know. You know what my job is? To get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and come to your house when you're hurting and you're crying. To make sure that you're fed. To make sure that you know someone thinking about you. To pray over you. To be up at 2 o'clock in the morning weeping because you're hurting. That's that's what I get. That's, That's what God calls me to do. That's what a pastor is. But I have to spend all my time doing other stuff because so many other people that are called to so many other things are unwilling to do it. And I wish pastor would serve me better. I could serve you better. If I wasn't doing something around here. Anyway. You know what I'm saying. Spiritual gift, ministerial gift, it doesn't matter. All those gifts... Come from Christ Jesus for one purpose. Not to Lord over. I can't say, I'm the pastor here. You need to listen to me. Jesus told his apostles, disciples in Matthew 20, 25 through 26. Jesus called them to himself. They were fussing about who was who was going to be the coolest. That, it, it's, that coolest is what it means in a, in a Hebrew. You know that's a joke. Never mind. Wasn't a good one. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. The only thing these fivefold ministry gifts have is more responsibility. If you're serving under or around or with a pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, that's not willing to clean a toilet, don't follow them. Because they're not in submission to love and humility. They're not in submission to the Holy Spirit. Because my job isn't to lord anything over you, but to love you. It's your job to love each other. Amen? For what purpose? To what end? Why do these gifts exist? And here's the challenge: I can educate you on all this stuff. Essentially, I've told you this: there's ministerial gifts, spiritual gifts, and all of us have something, and all of us are required to do something. But why? The why is because the church is equipped to grow up. It's not just gifted to grow up; it's equipped to grow up. All of these things exist for the equipping of the saints. It says this, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the mature stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we've been equipped or we should be equipped based on the giftings we've been given for the work of service to one another, the building up of the body of Christ, to attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to we are all mature in Christ Jesus. Maturity is the goal. Remember, I read that to you at the very beginning. This is what we strive for, so that all men, having been warned and taught, might be mature in Christ Jesus to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. At the end of the day, whatever gifting you have, whatever gifting you've been given, whatever you walk in, whatever you've moved into, exists for one reason, so that the body may attain to the fullness of Christ, so that we might be as Christ is to a lost and dying world. There's a story in your, in your Bible about Jesus raising a man from the dead. His name's Lazarus. Any of you are familiar with this text? Lazarus gets sick. They come tell Jesus, oh, Lazarus is dying. Come quick. He hangs out a little while because he just wants to. He gets there. By the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead, been in the grave for three days. Everybody's crying, Jesus, if you'd have just shown up, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus told them two things. He gave them two commands. He said, roll the stone away and unbind him. So he said, roll the stone away. You know why you've been gifted? You know why it's necessary you grow up? Because you need to be able to roll the stone away. Some of us are all Exactly like they were in the scripture. Oh, but you don't understand, Jesus. He's been dead for three days, man. There's stench is going to be on him. He's going to smell bad. That's just practical writing right there, right? Somebody dead for three days, it's reasonable in the desert, they're going to be stinking. He said, Oh, we don't want to. He, he stinks. There's a stench on him. Jesus doesn't say, Oh, oh, there's, there's a stench. My bad. He didn't tell him to do something else, he told him, Roll the stone away but we're not willing to roll the stone away because we're afraid of the stench that's going to get on us. People got stench on them. Stench of sin, stench of lifestyle, stench of relationships, stench of addictions. Every one of us at some point in our life had a stench on us that was uncomfortable to somebody else. But you know what? God didn't tell them to deal with the stench. God told them to deal with the stone. Our job is to present the gospel that the stone may be rolled away so that the voice of the Lord might call the dead out of that grave back onto His feet out here where we can get to them. Why do you need to grow up? We need to grow up because there's still people in that grave waiting for us to stand up, use the spiritual gifts we've been given, and roll that stone away. But that's not enough. That's not where our responsibility ends. How many of you guys, the day you got saved, you were perfect, like you didn't deal with any more of your past junk? All right. You scratched your head. I thought you was about to raise your head. I thought, man, don't you tell that a lie? All of us, including myself, we got saved. The next day, we were still jacked up. Day after that, we were still jacked up. Day after that, we were still jacked up. Hopefully, we're less jacked up now than we were back then, but we're still jacked up. Because we haven't yet attained to the fullness of who Christ is. And likely won't until we see him according to the word of God. But Jesus gives a second command beyond roll the stone away. He said, untie him. Why do I need to get up and grow up? Why have I been gifted? Why have you been gifted? Because that person may have been called out of that grave. But they still need somebody to walk beside them. Untie them. Make sure they're not bound by their previous addiction, their previous whatever they had going on, their last relationship, whatever they've allowed the world to convince them that they are. Let us be people who recognize that we have been gifted, but we've been gifted for a purpose. We've been called to grow up for a reason. And That's so that the stone might be rolled away, so that God's life can get to them. Oh, they don't need us. No, he, 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 I, I'm sure God doesn't need us. But the Word of God says that's how He uses us. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. How will they know unless someone tells them? Amen? And what are we supposed to tell them? We're supposed to tell them the gospel. The gospel is this. The lack of the gospel is the stone that's in the way. You tell the gospel, you were a sinner, but Christ came. And now by declaring him, Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That stone will roll away, and life will go in by the power of the Spirit. Then you walk up to them and just love them. It's the crux of our ministry philosophy here. Love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. I can't save them. I can't call them from the dead. But I can love them, I can serve them, and speak kindly to them help roll that stone away, help unbind them so that they know that there's a God that loves them. That's how Angela and I came to the Lord at Cornerstone Church. I got invited to Cornerstone Church a year before I went. Finally went because she told me she wouldn't date me if I didn't go to church with her. It seemed like a fair trade. So I went to church with her or we found a church because I'd been invited by a friend of mine. No intent to go back there. We were going to visit churches. We pulled in the parking lot. Somebody loved us. Like seemed like they really cared about us. We moved from the parking lot to the greeter. The greeter really seemed like they cared about us. From the greeter to the usher, the usher really seemed like he cared about us and then had a conversation with us about our first time visit and then would consistently have a conversation with us week after that, after that, after that. These people rolled the stone away It untied us long enough for us to see, remove the cloud that was in front of us of sin, to see Jesus. We've been gifted. That parking lot attendant, that greeter, that usher, ultimately that pastor whose testimony I got saved under, all have a gifting so that I might ultimately be equipped so that I could use my gifting so that someone else can be equipped, that they can use their gifting. And on and on and on and on. This is a generational thing. It's absolutely necessary. You've been gifted to be equippers. But you can't if you're not willing to get up and grow up. Amen? Let's roll the stone away. Let's unwrap the people.